This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Hey there, IT Visionaries listeners. It's time to supercharge your network with Zeo, the North American leader in modern network infrastructure. Zeo connects critical data centers across the United States, Canada, and Europe with high-capacity metro fiber and extensive long-haul dark fiber. Trusted by the world's most innovative companies, Zeo embodies what's next in networking. Discover Zeo's expansive network maps on their website and see where their network can take you. With low-latency, reliable 400G and 800G-enabled routes, it's the modern network solution you've been searching for. Visit Zayo's website today to unlock the power of your network and tap into the technologies of tomorrow. Go to zayo.com backslash network now. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today I have a special guest. His name is Albert Hofelt. Yeah, same name as my name. So every time I say Albert in this one, I'm not talking about myself in the third person. I am talking to my buddy over here. He is the SVP of technology at a company called STEM. Albert, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Albert, for having me. Uh, Pleasure to be here. We're going to have a little bit of inception. So people are going to have to start breaking down our voices. When I say Albert, I'm talking to Mr. Hofelt. When Albert Hofelt says Albert, he's talking to me. Okay, (laughs) so let's, uh, let's see if we can keep it all straight. I appreciate you joining the call today, and I appreciate you joining the show. Your business or your company you work for works in a field I care very much about. But before further ado, let's do this. Albert, if you could please tell our audience, what is STEM and what do you guys do? Well, thanks for having me, um, Albert. Um, Great to be here. Let me give you a bit of a background on what STEM is and and how we operate. So we are a clean tech provider. Um, We have an AI SaaS-based platform called Athena. And that platform is intended to optimize um, our storage capabilities that are large batteries, right, that store energy. And we also have um, a monitoring solution for all of our solar um, assets as well. So customers will subscribe to our software-based platform or cloud platform and, and it has an AI engine optimizing all the time for how much electricity is stored in those batteries and the different conditions uh, based on weather and other drivers on, on how we best optimize and utilize the energy in those, in those batteries. And those batteries can be charged off-grid or they can be charged via solar. And then we have, as I mentioned, um, a complete monitoring array of of software solutions for all of the different types of of solar installations. It sounds like you're involved in many different renewable or clean energy storage battery specifically. Give us an idea. What exactly is the problem the software is solving? Because you know, to a person who's maybe not familiar with your industry, they would think, oh, okay, well, if I have a, let's say a solar array and I have batteries, I just will, will fill it to capacity like a water jug. As soon as it's full, I can then distribute power from my batteries. Why would I need an AI layer to monitor or control this? Yeah. So, well, first off the scale, let me talk a little bit about the scale of what we're doing, right? Because we're not, um, you know, intended to to deploy small solar to homes and 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 storage at homes, right? There there are other vendors out there uh, that provide those capabilities. We're on a massive scale, right? So we're at utility grade uh, power and and corporate, um, you know, kind of grade power where it's large industrials, mm-hmm. et cetera. And so the nature of what we do in the AI layer is about optimization of many different factors. So we know that there are a variety of kind of forecast um, activities. Activities and events that are going on, right? So weather, looking out into the future, 
It could be day, two days, you know, and further out. Um, and so also uh, what power is trading at, right? So there's also the opportunity mm. to trade power. So you can utilize power. Um, you can store power um, from the grid. So we know what pricing strategies come into play here. So it's kind of day ahead forecasting and beyond about what the pricing for power is, about what the forecast and the weather is. And then also you have the consumption history, right? So looking at, at how much power had been consumed by, let's say, a, a manufacturing facility or how much power um, was required by a utility grid, right? That you can look back and see how much was made available, how much had been stored, um, looked at past weather events, and then forecast forward to future weather events. So you combine all of that data, which is a relatively big data problem, into what is our AI engine. And then that provides, uh, you know, kind of a forecast in terms of what the owner of the, of the batteries slash storage system may want to do. So they may want to trade power, they may want to use power in their own factory, or um, they could uh, deploy it to a utility or, uh, or a partner. Now, this is, this is pretty cool. So from what I understand, the grid is power is constantly being created. It has to constantly be created because it can't really be stored. And so there's like, there's a lot of, from my understanding, some inefficiencies in the whole concept of what energy creation is and energy distribution. And I've heard many different people talk to the, talk to us on IT visionaries about, Hey, if you have power, you know, the next thing is, can you distribute it? Cause if you don't distribute to someone who needs it, then of course it just dies if, or like, I don't know how the best way to say it, I say it dies. <laughs> like yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 it's not infinitely, it's not like water in pipes. I guess is in a way electricity is distributed like water in that it's connected lines that distribute the energy, but unlike water, it like fades quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, so, so it's an interesting, you know, kind of entree into um, a, a, just a bit of history too, in terms of what I've seen right over the years. Previously, I was a CTO at, at another company, Genscape. That company um, was involved in monitoring many different types of, of power, right, um, or energy, right? So we monitored oil, nat gas, um, electrical, wind, you know, solar, et cetera. And so there were many different types of assets. But of course, you know, power, electrical power did have then that characteristic. It was very transient, um, could not be stored um, or was, yeah. was typically not stored, right? And so when I went through that process, I loved dealing in energy and it was, it was fantastic. Um, and, and the IOT kind of distributed nature of monitoring was fantastic. And so then um, STEM comes along and, and creates then a new type of, of behavior in energy, right? So all of a sudden, what previously was very transient and kind of ad hoc and, and, and real time only, right? Also, you know, turns into kind of a more manageable uh, power class, right? And so that was very exciting. And so what we do is enable then, you know, the, the, the optimization of when, where, how we want to actually, or a customer wants to deploy that, that, uh, that energy, right? And that's part of what, you know, the AI engine is and, and part of what our control systems really actually do. So we go from cloud all the way out to the edge and we control, you know, what happens in, in, in these facilities, as you said, in a distributed manner, right? With distribution of energy, you know, to a whole variety of different locations through the grid, right? So um, it can be to, you know, companies along their own kind of internal network, or it can be, you know, out to utility. Yeah. And I want, I want you to keep going because this is such a fascinating thing. And I think most people, when they think of energy, they don't recognize or have a clue of how complicated it can, it can be mm -hmm. uh, because it's something we kind of take for granted. You know, it's a public utility. I turn on my lights. There's always power there. It's no problem, right? No one thinks about how hard it's to make, how hard is it to send, how hard, how hard is it to borrow almost like borrow like they have to borrow energy from different grids mm -hmm. give us an idea of what some of your customers experience beforehand 
and then what they experience after. So like if I'm a con- if like imagine a customer of STEM doesn't have the AI layer installed, they have power production in many different places and they come what does their world look like? And then what does their world look like after yeah. they con- install this? Yeah, so very much it's a certain uh, level of reliability and consistency, right? So it's just as if folks have, uh, you know, the situations where they've got, you know, personal home generators, right? And everybody has experienced these outages. Certain times of the year, it's it's very suboptimal, right? When you're in kind of either the, the very cold or the very hot months. Um, and so, you know, our our customers, you know, in some cases, um, corporate or or utility, right? That they have that that significant increase in reliability, consistency of power, right? That then, you know, avoids any kind of a disruption for um, the consumers, right? Consumer could be factory or consumer could be, you know, residential, um, residential through then the utility, right? So, so this is, um, you know, a situation where um, we've seen it in the past where, um, for example, we've powered 100,000 homes, right? Where um, otherwise they would have experienced an outage based on uh, a utility grid operator being unable to provide power in that consistent manner. Manner, right. And, and other types of instances like that, whether it be, like I said, corporate or residential. Now we're going to dive into the technology. What makes this possible? Because that's another th- misconception people have is they might think to themselves, oh, OK, well, that doesn't collect that much data. Right. We, a lot of people, for example, if they read about autonomous vehicles, they get an idea like, man, an autonomous vehicles collecting tons of data. Give us an idea of how much data is being collected across like a single customer to kind of understand for, for your tool to actually understand and make let's yeah. say recommendations or provide insights. So give us an idea of what the scope of a, a company looks like that needs to use this product. Yeah. Well, so I mean, we'll collect, you know, gigabytes. Um, but I mean, across, across our whole spectrum, we're collecting uh, many terabytes a day. We have petabytes of data, right? We have um, just an enormous amount of data, right? It, it's, it's very interesting, right? Because what you're looking at is you're, you're, you're talking about real-time events, Right. In the solar mm. world, you know, you have um, it's, it's, it's more of a non real time, right, because you're collecting at a lower rate. But in the storage world, you know, like I said, you're powering the grid. So you need to have real time visibility into what's going on um, in the demand side, in the production side. You have to have an assessment about what the, the status of, you know, these large banks of batteries. Right. These are huge containers, containers upon containers upon containers of of, of battery. Right. So you have to have um, a real time control mechanism uh, to be able to charge discharge and also monitor the safety. Right. So um, we're always monitoring uh, the health of the batteries and and managing that on behalf of um, of customers and and uh, and we have a knock center and you know so we're always assessing data we have a rules engine we have an ai engine which is looking for certain types of anomalies and event condition monitoring right so we're sucking in an enormous amount of data monitoring all that in in real time and then uh, we allow the systems to make certain control uh, decisions and then uh, we have overrides et cetera, et cetera. so give us an idea of what it takes to potentially access this data because when it comes to energy and energy production, it's often quite secure. It's going to be on a tight grid network of some sort. It's not going to really, uh, it's going to be closed network of some sort. It's not going to be readily available and shared to the public. Right. Or that's that's the assumption. You can tell me that things have changed. What does it take to access this data points? Does it require, uh, you know, beyond, not the legal part, like let's throw the legal, but like what is it on a yeah. technological level? What does it take to even get access to this? You mentioned earlier, right, that it's a relatively, you know, complex um, kind of an ecosystem, and and it is just that, right? Because, you know, we're we're you know managing and monitoring, and you know, it's a, it's a bi-directional relationship with the outer edge, 
you know, of, of our ecosystem, right? So we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of monitors out there on the edge. We're pulling all of that data in consuming it in real time, and we're monitoring it through a whole series of different dashboards. So there's the real-time monitoring dashboards and views, right? And then there are um, all the kind of reporting layers and the aggregations, et cetera. So customers will kind of want to come in and look at that data and see what kind of benefits, financial and otherwise, that they've had. Um, so there's many different kind of interfaces that we've got that allow, um, you know, our own internal, you know, ops teams to monitor uh, the events and activities, and then customers to consume and monitor, uh, you know, the they can get down to the nitty gritty detail um, of actual energy production and distribution, et cetera, or they can look at purely financial metrics as well. But what's interesting too is, is the nature of the network, which is out there, because we've got sort of the critical level of, of reliability and, and sustainability of, of that network connection that has to be hardwired in to the vast majority <laughs> of our devices. And then we have backup, which are wireless, right? And we have multiple backup, and then we also have satellite. So it depends on on the use case and where the system is, and and um, the size and scale, et cetera. But we have many different types of network connectivity and access uh, to access that data. Do you do you sometimes have because I know energy production is often <laughs> we I, the best way to describe it is it's not anywhere close to like infrastructure, right? Well, like for example, I, I had a person on Charlie Negoy with LibreStream last, uh, last episode. We were talking about how we were, I was driving through Wyoming and saw all of the wind, the wind turbines mm -hmm. and they're like the middle of nowhere, mm. it's like literally the middle of nowhere. So like running a line to those is pretty darn hard. Yep. Are those the like locations where you have to more go by satellite to, in order to even, even see what's going on there? Yeah, so we've got, um, you know, some pretty interesting, you know, experiences that we've worked through, right? But um, we have a very innovative, uh, you know, group here. You know, we're always experimenting with new types of connectivity. And so satellite is one of those. And then we have a, a variety of different other networks. All of them, you know, provide the proper level of um, encryption. You know, we encrypt over VPN. We encrypt, um, you know, in, in, at rest. We encrypt um, also over on top of the, you know, VPN, et cetera authenticated at all levels. Um, but anyway, but but that is very important because of the the range of different network type of connections that we've got and the distance over which, of course, um, you know, that whole ecosystem operates, right? So we've got a whole multitude of different connectivity types. Yeah. And give us an idea of what does that enable and unlock? Because this is because you mentioned it earlier, uh, a just a moment ago, for example, you said, hey, listen, we're we're tracking things in real time. We're understanding weather conditions, patterns, demands, needs. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that really, I mean, me listening to this, like this is not, well, let's forget the AI model. Like this is not really possible probably just a couple of years ago. Like, like, was it possible pre-5G? I don't even know. It doesn't sound possible yeah. pre-5G. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, so, um, well, for, for some of these, most of these types of real-time connections, we do require, you know, a hardwired connection gotcha. um, for those, okay. for those then that, that aren't right. Because to your point, right. Some of them literally are too far out. Um, you know, then we kind of, you know, narrow it down to the absolute kind of criticals. Um, and so we're still able to get what we absolutely need, you know, over, over 5G and, and even, I mean, from, from probably 3G actually forward, it was, it was probably sufficient for smaller installations. But what's interesting too is that we've got um, a, an e-mobility offering, right? And these are basically kind of microgrids that can operate, you know, in just about anywhere. So we've got some that are so mm. so distant out, right? Because trucking companies and, you know, and other kinds of scenarios require um, one. There's test areas, but then two, 
there's kind of the, the proximity um, depending on what their runs are, right, to, to where they have available power. And so um, they have to be able to operate, you know, in the city, but also on long hauls, et cetera. So they have to have, um, you know, areas where there isn't any other type of connection other than wireless. What is this unlocking? And more importantly, what will this mean for our future? Because I think we all know that the future is going to be you know, if, if I was going to say more or less energy intensive mm-hmm. than today, I'm going to say it's going sure. to be more energy intensive, right? Yeah, Everything 100%. is more like we, we as a society always go more. We never go less. Like there's never been like, oh, let's do less of that. Like, yeah, we're going to exactly. need more energy. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's interesting, right? Because, you know, with the, the nature of the grid, right, it is um, in need of upgrade in various, you know, areas, right? So um, not designed for so much the, the rate of growth and expansion of what clean tech is bringing, right? Especially, um, and that that's great for us in ways, right? Because we've got various ways that we can patch into different parts of the infrastructure, right? So we're, we can we can relieve the load um, where we can be in more areas and and operate in a more distributed manner, you know, than really just coming from a fewer number of large utility um, grade providers, right? So it's a benefit that we're bringing where we can actually provide more stability in a time when the growth is, is exponential, right? The number of um, EVs that are coming on the market, not just kind of consumer grade, right. But industrial, right. I mean, it's, it's proliferating everywhere. We've got a fantastic um, partner and customer um, Cisco, right. And that's, uh, you know, a, a trucking company that is heavy, getting heavy into the kind of the EV side of their, of their um, fleet. You're talking about Cisco, the like the food supply company that works Correct. for most. Uh, you know, yes. Yeah, S Y S C O. Just so everyone's on the same yeah, page. Yeah, not the other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, the, what we're we're partnering with, or what we've partnered uh, with them on, is kind of this this EV fleet um, distributed, um, you know, charge type capability, right? And so, as we further expand that kind of offering. It'll permeate into all sorts of other different types of fleets. I mean, it'll be, you know, you know, envision government as well as um, all the commercial opportunities, right? But we're relieving stresses on the infrastructure and providing, you know, so much more capacity um, in a much cleaner way, right? So, um, you know, we are the largest VPP uh, provider in North America, right? The virtual power plant. And so mm. um, that is just pure clean tech, right? It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I got to ask, what it, can you explain what VPP is? Well, so VPP is what is that, as we call it, the virtual power plant. And that is then um, that that those massive banks of storage of battery storage, right, where on mass, right, you're you're equivalent to um, some of the largest utility power generator plants out there. Right. So so mm. now with the tech that that we bring to bear i mean so we have the the software side of it right and the edge side um but with the availability and it's it's becoming more and more readily available right these these huge banks of of um you know lithium ion battery containers right like i said you know 40 50 foot containers filled right that that these in mass i'm trying to picture i just, i closed my eyes to picture yeah these in mass <laughs> right these, these these huge farms and so um it's it's a it's a great opportunity to be able to kind of have that that capacity right and so as we're growing and and the um you know the demand is growing we're we're you know we're booked out you know well into 2024 right so um the demand is is out there we're growing at a phenomenal rate and the projects, you know, are, are nearly infinite because there is so much uh, demand for clean tech. So the virtual power plant, you know, can do that, right. It can replace um, or it does replace, right. Um, you know, more of the fossil fuel oriented plants. 
Hey there, IT Visionaries listeners. It's time to supercharge your network with Zeo, the North American leader in modern network infrastructure. Zeo connects critical data centers across the United States, Canada, and Europe with high-capacity metro fiber and extensive long-haul dark fiber. Trusted by the world's most innovative companies, Zeo embodies what's next in networking. Discover Zeo's expansive network maps on their website and see where their network can take you. With low latency, reliable 400G and 800G-enabled routes, it's the modern network solution you've been searching for. Visit Zayo's website today to unlock the power of your network and tap into the technologies of tomorrow. Go to zayo.com slash network right now. So, you know, when I hear you talking about this, like I, I just start, my mind starts going in many directions. And the first question I have, I guess, is who is leading the charge in this? Because is it private industry that is saying, hey, we need this infrastructure? So like I'm imagining, for example, I'll just use the what you used a moment ago, which is uh, electric vehicles. So if I was like, a, I don't know, let's let's say I'm a gas station company. I don't know. like, But if I were thought to myself, hey, I want to make charging stations everywhere, that's exactly what I'll need. I'll need more energy closer to the stations so that, and then as you know, charging stations are going to have to be everywhere, right? So they're going to be up up and down 995, across I-10. I don't know. Um, but they're going to have to have an energy source. They're going to have to energy storage. Are, is private industry leading this demand or is the... F- the federal government part of this is, is, or is it everybody, everyone at the same time is calling you and saying, Hey, how do we bring more efficient electricity to these different places, locations, endpoints, whatever you want to call them? Yeah. Well, so we're getting it from, from all angles really. But I think the, I mean, there are obviously government incentive programs, right. Which are, um, you know, providing an additional driving force and organizations, companies are, are being held, you know, more accountable to a higher standard of, uh, yeah. of kind of, you know, clean energy consumption, you know, between, I think the, the general consensus that we know that clean tech is, is critical for the, you know, improvement of the overall environment. Um, and then also with incentives and also some mandates, you see that across the board, right. That there's a, a huge consumption of what our offerings are. The demand is, is really quite incredible. If I were, Pete, what you said, please correct me if I'm wrong. You said you already booked out through 2024. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're booking, you know, well in advance. So we've got projects uh, that are well out there into 24. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. The way, again, I only know what I know. So the way I described it to someone was like, Hey, we, is energy efficiency. The reason why software needs to be involved is because if you were to say, like, imagine every place that needs electricity. If you were to say, hey, how do you use it done today? It was like, well, you have to create enough electricity to fill the whole thing. And some people use it, some people don't. That's the problem right now. And then the way you're describing it, am I correct? It's like, you will have to, you will create it and distribute it as it's needed, as well as store it mm-hmm. efficiently so that you don't have to overcreate. Because the way electricity is produced in an older grid is if it's not consumed, it, like we said, it just, kind of disappears like it's just yeah yeah it's gone <laughs> yeah we i mean the thing is is that there's the the capacity that's available so um you know you can relieve the stresses on the system you know by distributing the load across the board right and so yeah. it's it's um, an efficiency play it's also um something we're managing in terms of um, life cycle of the battery systems too right so you know they come with certain warranties and and certain you know behaviors and cycles and and management of, right. of those systems is critical because it's obviously a huge investment. So to do that is, you know, is, is absolutely you know, part of the equation of why we're using, you know, the tech that we are. So you said cycles just a moment ago. And I, I want to make sure we're on the same page or, or the audience on the same page. So, you know, a battery can only be charged and decharged 
so many times, that's a full cycle. So you're saying the way you, your software, because it knows when it's needed and when it's not, it can actually yeah, it manages consume less cycles. Sure, yeah. So so when you think about the experience you have as a consumer that we all have, right? When um, you know we're using our smartphones, and and you know you get that new smartphone, and the uh, you know the the charge cycle is is as long as uh, as it is in its whole life, right? So when we're going through that process of battery degradation in a smartphone, it has nowhere near the level of intelligence of what we bring to the table in terms of um, kind of the, the battery management. And there are battery management systems and third parties we use as well um, that we integrate with. But the net net is that that we look to provide an overall service where we maintain the nature and the cycle um, charging uh, behavior of the battery such that it maximizes the life cycle of that whole storage capability, right? So we think about managing life cycles, you know, way out, like, you know, into kind of decades rather than, you know, what usually the cycle time is for, you know, a, a person's, you know, smartphone, right? Which you, you upgrade every yeah. few years and all of a sudden you're back to using your, <laughs> you know, your, your phone for two days, right? Without a charge. And then uh, you're down to five charges a day, right? So, so we don't want that to happen. And so, uh, you know, we, we make sure that it doesn't. Yeah, the uh, based on these forty to fifty foot battery containers that you're talking about installing uh, at remote locations, I'm 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 going to guess your customers also want that to last longer than uh, a year or two. Exactly, yeah, for sure. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so part of that too is is um, you know the actual infrastructure in those containers, right, for heat management, et cetera. So it's uh, you know it, it's a relatively sophisticated you know experience to go through. No, that is pretty fascinating. For yourself, how did you in come to STEM and say, Hey, I want to work, uh, solving this problem because we checked you out on LinkedIn. You obviously have extensive experience. It looks like in finance and you have it in, you know, a company called liquid X, which was an asset. I don't know how best to describe it. It sounds like a finance type <laughs> product, uh, block, but also with blockchain. So you've been, you've worked on some really cool projects. What brought you over to, uh, to STEM? Well, I really enjoy the nature of uh, of of what we do. Um, each organization that I've I've been at, there's something that I really like to consume and, and understand and bring you know what I can to the table in terms of experiences and, and technologies, et cetera. But when I was um, you know at, at LiquidX, it was interesting because it was a fintech play, you know, for trading systems in the trade finance um, arena and building out you know the automated workflows and digitization capabilities of that platform on on blockchain and so blockchain to me is is a really interesting um, space i think that it does uh, have a great potential for the future to come into the the energy trading space and so that's that's part of what i think will be interesting in that in that open ubiquitous energy trading ecosystem of the future I worked at Genscape, you know, where it was all around uh, kind of multi-asset class IoT and and you know building um, a SaaS-based platform, fine grain entitlements, and in all these different platforms. And building those types of systems um, is such a rewarding experience, right? Down to the DNA level, where you're really understanding kind of what the future state is, the future use cases. You never want to get into a situation where the CEO comes and and, and says, "Hey, you know, we've got to build this new capability," or the the CPO, whichever, and um, and you say, well, you know, with enough time and money, I can do that, right? That's a very poor answer. And so what I try to do is, is understand as far out as I can to say, okay, in the next, you know, three to five years, of course, there's lots of variables in that, you know, where are we going? And so I try to come up with as much of an expiry proof um, architecture and design as possible. And so 
at Thomson Reuters when I was there, that was all about real-time trading. And, you know, so I love real-time trading and I love the energy markets and I love kind of the blockchain trading space. And so at STEM, you know, it's interesting because it combine it can combine then all of these, you know, into kind of one um, really interesting, you know, offering. And so running out on the edge, the cloud SaaS opportunity, the trading side, and, uh, you know, we'll see if we, uh, if we get into other areas of trading and that kind of open, ubiquitous blockchain-based uh, trading capability in the future. All right. So now I got to ask you, because you said, hey, listen, I apply with some of my, you know, like you think about these problems that these companies solve on these like three to five year horizons. What are you personally, you don't have to speak for the company, but like, what do you personally see for your sector in the next three years? Because we already you kind of hinted at it before is like the, the demand for energy is never going away. Like it's only mm-hmm. going to get greater. Right. So what do you see or what do you hope to see, whether it's advancements at STEM or in the broader market around you? Or what are you looking forward to seeing for uh, for the energy sector in the next three to five? Yeah, well, I think this is where it's really going to um, be a change in terms of just the overall you know, adoption of, you know, of EVs uh, at the fleet, at the consumer level, at the home level, right? Um, whether it be a personalized, you know, home wall, or if it's, you know, the combination mm. of of smart homes, right? I, I, I'm fascinated, I've always been fascinated, you know, with smart homes. And so when you mix, you know, energy availability, and you've got, you know, the VPP, right, at the utility level, you've got the adoption of solar and also storage, you know, at the residential level. And then you've got EVs mixed in with that at the corporate and the consumer level, right? You've got an enormous, you know, ecosystem where balancing out all of the supply and demand, you know, in this is, is a really exciting opportunity. And so it's, it's you know, it's the balancing side of it. And, and part of that goes into what is, um, you know, available from the trading side. Right. Where, you know, consumers can trade, um, you know, their own you know, energy. And, and of course, you get that these days with with people providing energy back into the grid, et cetera. But even if you were going to go consumer to consumer, you know, business to business, um, I mean, it's it's a fascinating uh, space to get into. And this is where I think, you know, opening up um, trading markets and, um, you know, and where we see energy or power going right for ubiquitous access and availability and managing and monitoring, you know, the, the production and consumption, you know, is a fantastic, fantastic opportunity. So I think it'd be really interesting and mixing that in with the smart home. Very exciting stuff. So then now I got to ask on a personal level, do you, are you already an owner or do you currently drive an EV? I am not. And that is because I'm waiting for the cyber truck. (laughs) 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 So I've already got my order in for, for that. And, uh, and, and I'm trying to hold off. Um, There are some really interesting other, um, other, you know, machines out there, obviously. Right. But I think that there's one which um, which I came across recently, which is still kind of an an, an early stage um, offering, right? But it's it's uh, it's uh, an EV that is um, covered with um, solar panels, you know, all around mm. it, right? You, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but anyway, so it's it's a it's a more economical vehicle, right? It's not um, a thousand horsepower, et cetera. But basically, just with normal environmental um, charging, right, you basically get 7,000 miles free a year, right? It's, uh, oh, that's in, cool. In, so it's pretty interesting, right? That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so, um, you know, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not available in the U.S. yet, but uh, it would, it, when, it, when it does become, um, I'll be the first one, you know, to buy one and buzz it around town. Um, other than that, uh, my Cybertruck is, is, is still pending production. 
<laughs> yeah, still pending production. Listen, I rent it. Like I said, I rent. Uh, I told in an earlier episode, but my son Laird, he's very into technology, and he is fascinated by Tesla vehicles, as are many kids. Mm-hmm. And um, I, so we rented one for a day just to see what it was like. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't get me wrong, it's awesome. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> it is. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. And for anyone who's out there, I strongly encourage you just give it a day if you can. Spend, if you have the ability, give it a try. It is significantly faster than I think that's the number one thing most people are surprised by is how fast it is. The, my, my, what I'm waiting for is actually what you are currently providing. What I'm waiting for is more reliable infrastructure for charging. Cause I do a lot of long haul driving. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that I could run out of range and have to go find a charging station and possibly have to be there. And I know computers are going to be part of this in the future too, which is um, to make, I don't know how software can make a battery charge faster, but I've read about how they can like control the currents and stuff. I'm like, what is going on here? This is crazy. I thought it was a, a physics problem. Not like it couldn't be adjusted by software, but when charging speed and availability is I don't want to say the same, but sim- uh, somewhat similar to gasoline where you're not having to worry about finding a charging station. Mm-hmm. It becomes for someone like me, much more palatable to have an EV because I, because I do so much long haul, but yeah. I, I agree. The, the technology is sweet. Yeah. I think there's, there's different um, options and ways um, scenarios to kind of optimize that. And obviously you have to balance out kind of power to weight ratio and, you know, and because, you know, when you, when the time it takes to hit to, you know, let's say 60 or 70 or, or 80% capacity, and depending on how much range you need and how long you're willing to wait. Right. But you can't carry around, you know, too much, uh, you know, too much capacity, but I think, um, you know, extensions and also years ago, there was uh, it's like 20 years ago, there was a company that had tried, um, uh, you know, basically a robotic um, electrical battery station, right, where you could swap the pack in and mm-hmm. out. But um, it was it was ahead of its time and getting um, standards aligned would be very challenging. But, you know, that's also uh, uh, something that might rear its head again. They're doing it, obviously, they're doing it with motorcycles, et cetera, scooters around, but uh, maybe cars someday. Yeah, listen, I, I'm just picturing because because for anyone who's not aware, the basically the the floor of the Tesla is the battery. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's like the whole floor. Yeah. Like so, the whole floor is the battery. I'm imagining like a like a Lego like world where you come in and like it bottom drops out and they stuff another yeah, one. Yeah, just keep moving on. Yeah, that's what they had. Yeah, it was very interesting, <laughs> compelling. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it would be no. It'd be sweet. It'd be sweet. Uh, there's no question about it. Yeah, for anyone who's not tried it, give it a shot. Well, you know the the biggest thing that I gathered from your the conversation with you today is just how many. I guess that that's probably the most. Um, I don't know about surprising, but hopeful. I guess is a great way to say it. It's like how many people and how many companies are attempting to figure out a way to move energy closer to where it's needed, mm-hmm. how to optimize for its production because that is. I don't think it's hard to say that energy production is the biggest greenhouse gas emitter. Like that's, you know what I mean? People talk about, people talk about uh, 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 your vehicles, dude, like the power plant makes more than anybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's one of the reasons why I really like the, uh, the monitoring side of the business too, right. For the, uh, you know, for the solar side. Right. So that's where it's like the full breadth, right. We cover really the full breadth of, of, of kind of offerings slash solutions, you know, when, uh, when you can really hit the optimal point between solar and storage, you know, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. So um, weaving that all together in one platform is, is really exciting for us. Yeah. And you hit it on there. Exactly. And that's, that's probably another thing some of our listeners may not be aware of is like, it's creating power is one thing, but then moving it and storing it is a whole other problem. So it's pretty cool to hear about different companies working with you, investing in and attempting to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. Yep. hundred percent. 
Albert, I want to say thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing the story about STEM and what it does. For our listeners, when you listen to what Albert talked about, and when I'm not, again, this is inception. I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about my guest here. It is something that we all take for granted because we turn the switches on. We have power instantly available to us. It feels like it's not a problem, but it is one of the most complicated industries, I guess. It's it's just complicated because it's got physics, right? you're, You're battling physics. You're battling production. You're battling distribution. Like there's mm-hmm. so many, many parts. It's not just a software layer. So uh, Albert, it was awesome hearing how STEM is attacking this problem. Thank you. I mean, I, I really enjoyed uh, giving you kind of the 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 blow by blow of what we do. And I'm glad to come back and chat with you more as we evolve and create more offerings. So um, there you, you go. know, the, the growth for clean tech is nearly infinite. That's the best way to describe it right there. It is because some of the things I was thinking about is like, like you said, energy production, like how it's produced, whether it's solar, wind, whatever the case may be, it still needs to be managed because of the, the actual physics of electricity. It just it doesn't last very long. Uh, and no one has figured out how to solve that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Happy to be here. Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers.